0: Back to the Limehouse podcast. How you doing? I'm good. I've, I've been hanging in there. The last few days have been glorious. Of course, outside for the driest, hottest, brightest, glorious uh, May on record. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's the reward, isn't it? It's the reward. We've all had to pay the ultimate price for this shit, and we're kind of this is the heavens' way of of, of giving us a pat on the back. Anyway. This week's episode is good, it's good. I think I was a little bit out of my depth, I'm perfectly honest with you, uh, talking with Ralph. Ralph um, is a, a, a wonderful, legendary actor. You've probably Googled him, if you haven't. If you've read the show notes, then you'll probably, you know, just off the top of your head, you're thinking, Aliens 3, personally I love that film, great film, loved him in that. Uh, then Wayne's World 2 and Widnow, and um, wow, all losers. just those three alone, so you're lucky, and if, if you've got any sense, you've probably watched him in Nighty Night as well, which is Julia Davis at her, probably her best, probably her best work, I don't know, that's up for debate, but Ralph's one of those guys, he's a true legend, a real cult cult hero for a lot of, a lot of people. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Hmm. Dell. Dell. Amazing. Um. So yeah, you're going to get a lot from it. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I was a bit out of my depth. I just felt like he's just, he's such a legendary guy, and and more often than not, you're trying to get a lot out of. Uh, you're trying to get deep, right? You're trying to go deep, and that that's a tricky thing because I don't know who the guy is. I know I know of him. I know his work. I don't know what he's like. So you try and go in and I think we, we got reasonably deep and I got, I think I got everything I wanted really, to be perfectly honest. I think he's definitely one of those people that if you were in a pub, um, it would be one of the best pub conversations you could have if you had like the opportunity to just get a bit pissed. I mean, ideally you would, you'd meet him down a pub and it would be a very quiet pub you could just get slowly sloshed and go at it that way maybe one day i can do that but i very very much that do- oh, fucking who knows whatever but anyway onwards and upwards if you if haven't already please um do yourself a favor please do yourself a favor and check out somedaysadiamonds.co.uk on there you're going to find the name my short film that i i wrote and Uh, I guess, yeah, I produced it. We'll say that. Wrote the music as well. I mean, I just did everything. Someone's got to do it. And it's humorous. It's dark. It's it's, it's beautifully shot by Colin Midgley. You will enjoy it. It's only like 20 minutes. Go on there. Have a gander. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Okay, I, I guarantee it. Support the indie filmmakers, people. Support the artists. And what have you. Speaking of artists. I've got um, Blaine Harrison coming on the show soon. From the uh, Mystery Jets. Very much looking forward to that. So watch this space. I'm not too sure when I'm going to load that one up. I'm also going to have to cut the show back to once a a week now. I was completely off my rocker. Suggesting that I'll be able to do it twice a week. I forgot. um, (laughs) Forgot. Got a kid. Got a wife. And just one of those things. Can't can't be doing with it you've got a you've, you've you've got a knuckle down there's no there's, there's no way you can just put those those things to one side i've got a podcast i've got to put out uh, twice a week excuse me family would you mind just not existing anymore it's insane um so i am sad to say that but it also means like I, I don't have to have so much pressure getting guests which is good to be honest yeah so that that that's one thing but i just want to jog your memory on uh, the feature we have novel idea yeah there it is novel idea uh, how are you doing with that are you reading are you reading it stoner by john williams are you enjoying it are you gearing up for a big meaty debate about it which is coming up soonish i hope you are i'm really i'm so excited about it honestly so thrilled so bloody thrilled and um and why not and if you are so inclined, I suggest you also get your laughing gear around some Patricia, Patricia Highsmith, and then check out previous episode I did with the wonderful Andrew Wilson. And that was an awesome, awesome chat. And speaking of awesome chats, how good was last week with Livia? That's still sinking in for me. It really is. Genuinely, I mean, it's such a natural conversation. I really enjoyed that. It, it, it really, it got, it got got me like you know into a good place for a good couple of days. And I hope it did with you as well. So if you, you know, if you want to share that with your friends, please do. It'd be wonderful. Hey, I'm going to go back old school and go. Do you remember when they used to do this? Not so long ago, the reviews on iTunes. People like, Oh yeah, give us a review on iTunes? It really helps, really helps. I don't know. I don't know how much it helps, but I'm, I'm willing to bet it'll help better than nothing. Better than a poke in the testy. So if you want to. Give give us a review on iTunes. It really does mean a lot, and I don't mean that flippantly. It really it really does because, say, how how what what can I do for you, Will? You've you've bought me these conversations. Okay, there. It's not amazing quality. It's still DIY. I mean, you know, you could try harder, Will. You you could try a bit harder. Hey, back off, I am okay. But. If if there is a way of rewarding you, Will, what would it be? Well, I'll tell you. It would be through an iTunes review. All right? So do it. Don't call me an arsehole. Enjoy this chat with Ralph. He's one in a million. He's a superstar. He's stealth.
1: How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you good? I'm really good today. Yeah, really good. Um, the uh, the latest um, song bar blog went up this morning, um, uh, so I'm I'm always happy when that when that happens because I can just go, you know, spread it out, ping it on, put it on Twitter, and send it to my mates and and just go look what I just did, you know, and then spend the rest of the day getting pats on the back, you know.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. But can you can you explain it to to like Explain the best. The best line in I think it's Independence Day or something like that, or Armageddon or something like that. He goes, "Look, man, just explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old." Or maybe it's not even one of those disaster movies. But I love that line. It's so. It's so just true. Can you explain to me what Songbar is, as if I'm a five-year-old?
1: I certainly can, uh, William. Yes. So uh, Thursdays um, on this website called Songbar a new topic is announced. Uh, Last Thursday, the topic was the pandemic and the lockdown. And then the people who sign up for that particular website and all the readers have four days to suggest songs which might appear on a playlist about the pandemic. And hundreds and hundreds of songs pour in. And there's one poor sucker, which this weekend was me, who has to sift through them all, listen to them all, and then produce two playlists, Um, or perhaps three, because um, we've recently started putting um, an A-list, a B-list, and a G-list, which is the Guru's Playlist, which is the songs that weren't suggested, but which should have been maybe.
0: Right, okay. um,
1: Like a little extra. So on um, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, is it today? Yeah. If it's Wednesday, it's the day when the playlists are published and people can read whether they made the A-list or not with their suggestion, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. if a, usually, if a song has already been chosen uh, before, and uh, this has been going on for 15 years, by the way, uh, it can't be chosen again. So, it, it, in theory, the, the number of songs you can suggest dwindles every week by kind of 12 or 10 or 15 or however long. Yeah. In fact, there's so many songs out there that there's still... You know, there's still a lot which have never been thought of. So
0: yeah, it sounds it sounds, it sounds fucking amazing. I'm trying to think what songs I would, I would put forward. Um, the best I mean, thing don't... I
1: can say about it is that it's a, a community on the internet which doesn't in, engage in any kind of um, sneering or hate. Or uh, nobody ever talks about music they don't like. They only ever talk about music they like, and if they don't like it, they don't say anything. So it's yeah. actually a little oasis of calm and gentle delight on the internet. And it's one of the main reasons
0: why I like it. Sweet. No, I love it. I love the sound of that. And that's definitely in this day and age. That's a rarity. I've just thought mean? of one. I've thought of a track. Mine would be, in terms of my me- state of uh, mental health, um, <laughs> would be Down 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 by Status Quo. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. We had those days as well.
1: Yeah yeah deeper and down
0: down down deeper and down mate good lord but yeah. um i suppose that now is the um the 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 most prominent question that i'm all podcasters are you know asking their guests i suppose is how you are fight how are you finding lockdown how how are you
1: finding lockdown ralph well um you know things haven't changed that much for me, even though I live in New York, which has been certainly one of the main centers of the pandemic for the last couple of months. And we're now kind of tiptoeing gently out of it, um, fingers crossed. um, I have been since last July, sitting at home, writing, um, going out shopping, uh, doing the laundry and um, keeping the house tidy because my wife has been on Broadway. And so I've been quite happily being the stay at home husband. And so yeah. really my life didn't change that much her life absolutely collapsed you know um, it's very diff- very different for people who were who were full-on working when it when it was shut down and she was so um, and she's also asthmatic so um, she hasn't gone out at all for 10 weeks but I'm, I'm the intrepid one who dons masks and gloves and goes out shopping um, and keeps six feet away from everyone and, and gets annoyed at people who aren't wearing masks and uh, um, and then takes pictures of empty streets and puts them up on the internet you know so uh, I've been careful and uh, and then when, you know when you get in you have to disinfect literally every single thing you've bought including your own clothes um, and um, and then we sort of get back to what we're doing which is we're writing together and we're you know we're, we're doing blogs and, um, and little bits and pieces here and there and it's, it's amazing how busy you can be doing nothing you know
0: yeah yeah I think I think a lot of people are saying that they're, they're, they're tapping into their creative um I don't know well I suppose even even people that didn't even realize they, they necessarily had a a creative um bow I suppose I mm. I've I've gone completely I've get, I've worked so hard that I've given gave myself a, a migraine the other day so <laughs> it's not yeah. been great um no, but but, no. but too too much too much bloody creativity mate um for me right. but that, that right. so you're you're going out and you're being the knight in shining armor for, you, yeah. for
1: your wife um yeah. which is great because i'm not i'm not very good at relaxing you know i'm not very yeah. good at hanging around and, and and watching telly and and stuff like that i can i can sit in front of the computer for hours i mean literally hours pissing yeah. about you know uh, i'm sure most of us identify with that but um it feels like you're doing something in some strange way. Do you know what I mean? Even though you're not, you're not really.
0: Yeah. yeah, um,
1: yeah, yeah, I suppose what I do for, for actual relaxation is I go cycling. Um, and, and that kind of empties the mind a bit and you're just looking at your front wheel and whether it's going to go over a, a brick or something. And, um, now and again, looking at the scenery and I, I find that really relaxing.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think I can relate to that in terms of, um, I've done a, a shit ton of walking lately and, um, and also, yeah, obviously podcasting and what have you. So, looking at, for example, editing a podcast, you know that takes your mind completely. You can only concentrate on that, so it takes your mind off everything, which is which mm. is really useful. Yeah. But um, and your blogging, that sounds that sounds awesome. I just because I, I I'm reading a bit of it. You sent me a link. Yes, that's a, that's a lot of entries, my friend.
1: Been doing it a few years now.
0: You know. Yeah, uh,
1: well, I think kickstarted probably- that. I think I was approaching, uh, you know, the big six zero, which feels like a kind of landmark age. Um, and I just thought, I'm not going to live forever, you know. And you don't know gonna, that, Ralph. I'm going to write down some of the things I've done, you know, and some of the songs that I've liked. And so every single entry in my blog is a memory, or or it's a memory of a person, or a you know a job that I did, or uh, a friend an incident and but it's all through the prism of a song which reminds me of that moment or that person and so it ends up kind of being a list of my favorite songs but not always sometimes i don't (laughs) like them particularly but it's still a memory
0: so it's kind of like a legacy really in a a sense it's a bit like an
1: autobiography yeah yeah
0: Um,
1: autobiography it's called my pop life and um yeah, I, I didn't. I had no idea it was going to be this long. I thought it might be 50, 50 kind of entries when I started it, and it's now two hundred and thirty-six or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, two hundred thirty. Yeah, two hundred thirty-six. That is, it's, it's so. Amazing. I can't wait to get stuck into that actually, because yeah. like out of all the, all all the people I've t- I've spoken to, I think you've got the the most interesting um, path for want of a better word of what you've done creative creatively it's 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 quite something would you would you mind if because what i really want to know is like when you what what ralph little ralph brown was like back Mm. in like when what was the most like i don't know creatively or what was the thing that really spoke to you the most when you were a kid what was on the radio and what was on the tv when you were a kid and what affected Mm. you the most
1: well um I wanted to be a zookeeper when I was about six, seven. Um, that, was, that, was, that was my fantasy, really, was um, animals. Um, but what I was receiving um, on a daily basis was pop music. Uh, yeah. We had the radio on all day. My mum was a big um, fan of the radio and Radio 1 in particular. So um, all through the sort of 60s, 70s, I was listening to Radio 1, um, at the charts, Sunday was almost a religious experience, turning on the top 20 Sunday afternoon, and we'd all sit around and we'd, we'd, we'd bang around on saucepan lids and uh, join in with our favourite songs and sing harmonies and all of that. So really, I should have been a, a musician. Um, in fact, when I got to um, my mid-20s, I was in a band, and um, I was also doing acting, having dis- sort of decided I was going to be an actor. Uh, around the age of uh, 20... And I had this fork in the road where i um, got offered a, a tour with the band and i was also offered a job um, as an actor which was going to take me away from london so i had to choose up to that point i was kind of hoping i'd be able to do both but um yeah. it wasn't wasn't to be you know yeah. um so i chose acting i i, I had to kind of look at what it would maybe be like being a musician and then what it would be like being an actor and you know just try and predict what the next 30 40 years are going to be like kind of impossible really but um i've had slightly miserable vision of myself as an actor of having a couple of broken marriages and probably addicted to heroin and sitting around doing the odd solo on somebody's album and i thought mm, yeah maybe that's not as good as as being an actor which might have a bit more variety in it you know
0: yeah yeah so um, are we talking like so you said are we talking like the kinks were on the radio a bit of the who
1: yes the beatles motown um, the beach boys and yeah. like in the, the 70s gilbert sullivan and uh um smokey robinson and miracles and harold melvin in the blue notes and uh you know all all of those those wonderful wonderful songs i mean it's a cliche now and people my age look back on that era with great fondness as the golden era but um i'm sorry i'm not going to break that stereotype i look back on that era as a golden age of music (laughs) you know 65 to kind of 1980 really it's just um very rich very very rewarding I still listen to new songs. I'm not stuck in that era at all. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I think we were very lucky to live in that period, you know.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think there's a generation particularly... I mean, I I grew up with this the sound of the 60s, 70s, and, and uh, that was it, you know, Zeppelin and all, all that lot. Um, mm. The Kinks. But to me, it was very strange that the Kinks, to me were uh they were a a modern band even in 1991, 92, three to to me because my they were still kicking around then and my dad um my mum and dad took me to see them at Portsmouth Guildhall and they were fucking incredible but they when I was listening to them I was never listening to them going oh fucking throwback 60s or whatever they were so relevant to me you
1: know yeah and you were there Tremendous songwriter, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know many other songwriters that would have written Lola even in 1970. You know, you think, wow, that's such a kind of bold song. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Altamolmanac is my favourite King song. I just think it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, you know, more than you deserve in three minutes of pop. It just goes everywhere. Melodically. Oh, I like that. yeah Yeah.
0: more than more than you deserve it that's quite funny i quite like that that's that's yeah they they, it's so rich isn't it it's like it's got it covers it covers it's the the most incredible what i what i loved about the kinks was paint how they how he painted pictures but painted emotions and and drew you in and 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 you felt like you were the only one in that song you know um Mm -hmm. particularly as like someone living thinking about the the kinks in the 1990s. And I'm like meant to be listening to Nirvana and stuff. And I'm stuck listening to like Jimmy. Well, Jimmy Hendrix is always cool, but you know, the kinks and quo and all that kind of stuff. But what, cause it's cool because I, I always like, I always have this thing in my head about actors and they're always kind of like where they draw from to produce <laughs> characters and stuff. What do you think? Like in terms of growing up, what do you think stuck with you the most that you then drew from, to pr- to bring into characters that you've played.
1: Yeah, it's a really difficult question to answer because uh, uh, I don't really think about characters until I've got it on a page in front of me. Do you know what I mean? Like people yeah. you quite often ask, you know, have you got have you got a part that you've always wanted to play and things like that? And that's a kind of a stage actor question in a way. It's like it's it's a sort of a dangling question about which Shakespeare ca- uh, character you wish you'd have played and things. But, but in- most of my life I've been on screen not on stage and I'm available for work as a rule. So I'm kind of pretty open minded and and I, it comes in the door and you look at it and then your instinct tells you what to do. And I, I go for the voice first. I, I um choose the accent and the and the rhythms and the and the, the whereabouts in the in the voice of, you know, whether it's going to be a really guy that talks up there or, or whether it's going to be a geyser who talks like that, you know. And it's like they're, yeah. they're the kind of choices I make. And I don't know where they come from, William, to be honest with you. They come from my experience of being a person alive in the world, you know, yeah. same as yeah. everyone else. Um, and I, I did have, um, I did have quite a few years of life before I became an actor, so I think I've had a lot to draw from, you know
0: in terms of voices the obviously like the i suppose the most iconic one would be danny from with now that then the, that was then like reprised for uh wayne's world 2. it was um because what i know i suppose not a lot of people would necessarily make that connection if, if they hadn't seen with now and what have you but what was the um you read that script and go this is Danny, or did Bruce Robinson come to you and go, this is how I want it to be?
1: Mm, There's a kind of mixture. Um, I read it, and the stage directions in the screenplay are really, really amazing. Like, before Danny says a single word, there's this long paragraph of of who he is. And it's, like, um, kind of very laid back. I don't know. I can't remember what it says now, but it gave me a big... Idea, And I presented myself at the audition with eye makeup on and looking a bit like a gypsy. And the first line that I had to say in the audition was, you're looking very beautiful today, man. And there may have been comma after today. So you're looking very beautiful today, man. And I was like, okay, how am I going to say that? You looking very, so I just tried it. I just tried it, you know, dozens of different ways until I got it. You know, and somewhere out there was the the line that Bruce had written, which I found, because as soon as I said it, you're looking very beautiful today, man. The man is kind of dropped off the end. It's not really there. I was like, that's it. That's how that guy talks. So it was actually in the script, you know, in terms of the rhythms. Um, The idea of having a kind of um, uh, erotic R, you know, so he he doesn't remember. You know, so right and wrong um, came from. I think I'm pretty sure that came from Bruce because I think he was basing the character on this fella that he knew, and he spoke like that. It's a bit like um Steve LaMac, the disc jockey.
0: He's okay, got a, yeah, like,
1: version of that voice, um, and Trevor Laird, the actor also has a voice a bit like that. And also uh, William H. Corbett, who played the younger steptoe, also had a voice a bit like that. So there's a little, uh, a few yeah. little antecedents, but those, I didn't think of any of those until after I'd done it, you know. Fuck me,
0: it, that, that, that's, yeah, that's yeah. completely it, isn't it? You, Zetti, yeah. old man. Yeah, oh my God, yeah.
1: yeah. So there was kind of that sense of, uh, sort of, it's a slightly uh, educated, cockney kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, and we did rehearsals, which was lovely because you don't do rehearsals very much for a film. But so We went down yeah. to Sheffield and rehearsed for a couple of weeks and it, I mean, it was mainly for the other two guys, really, and, and Uncle Monty, but I did get to go in there for a, a couple of days and do my bits and that was very, very useful, you know, because obviously once you're filming, there's no time to do anything except just get on with it, you know.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it must have been like, because I know, uh, Bruce, there's, um, I wouldn't say like I'm a, an obsessive fan of with and I have definitely seen it as much as any, you know, I don't know, seven or eight times over the years. Um, I was a bit shocked when I, my, I t- my wife told me she hadn't watched it. So we, when we were down at a, a country house, we watched it together. And I think we watched the D- the DVD extra with you and Paul uh, talking about mm-hmm. the um, just commentary. And mm. it, was, it was fucking, fucking awesome. Absolutely loved it. But the, um, I just thought it There's was like so a many really...
1: people haven't seen it. I mean, uh, you know, because I've been on telly a lot and you get into a taxi and they go, you're that actor, aren't you, mate? And you go, am I? And they go, yeah. What have you been in? You know what I mean? And they're like, you know, I don't want to answer that question because you end up in this really horrible, excruciating conversation where they're going. You say something like, "Um, well, trying to choose the thing they might have seen, you know. Uh, Alien 3, oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Who are you then? I was that that bloke who um, worked for the company and sort of survived right to the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't really like that film. Yeah, what else? (laughs) You know what I mean? They they tick your career off in a kind of a couple of minutes, and by the end of the conversation, you're considerably more miserable than when you started it. (laughs) Uh, And so I always try and avoid that conversation, and one of the best ways to avoid it is to go, what have you been in there mate and you go with nail and i and they're like "Nah, i never heard of it and they're like, oh well you know, <laughs> <laughs> because millions of people have never heard of it and there you go yeah it's one of those uh, things
0: yeah it's it's just the ultimate isn't it it's the fuck and i love how much you love it as well like the, you get such a great warmth from that video commentary um that when when yeah. I watched it back, such a love for it, and now how of course...
1: lucky we were to be to be given that as all of us, I think, really our first movie, and uh, you know what an incredible script that we all had to deliver, and it stood the test of time, and I think we're all very proud of it, and very we're very lucky that we were part of it, obviously, and carrot, you know, and that's that, and there's nothing I can do about that. I can't kind of top it, you know, and and I'm very I'm very lucky because all actors, uh, you know, really need a role that they're identified with you know it's Arthur Lowe who had a brilliant career had to wait till he was in his 50s for Captain Manring and he would always be known for that even though he'd already done tons of you know the brilliant you know Oh Lucky Man at the Lindsay Addison Club just for example but uh, and I think when I started just to go tangential for a bit I thought that the idea of acting was to act so therefore change what you were going to look like and sound like with each job and in fact uh, that's what i did you know sort of uh, lots of uh, different types of, of geezers different classes and, and and so on and i think i found out maybe 20 years after that that in fact the idea of acting was to not do that was to be yourself um i, I worked with hugh grant quite early on who was a very good actor but who didn't like doing acting he wanted to just be this one character because that is actually the smart way to go and he's earned kind of a hundred times the money that i have over the years not because he's a better actor but because he just saw the land much clearer than i did yeah we seem to have had a freeze there
0: yeah yeah did you hear all that i did yeah it's really weird it freezes and it kind of picks up again so it it, it kind of works um but yeah, yeah, we'll blame the we'll blame the Atlantic Ocean, um, but yeah, I, I I take your point on that one. That like the naturalistic approach,
1: you mean? Well, no, because he when when I did this movie with 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 Hugh, which one was it? He, it's called Impromptu. It's a film about oh, yeah, Chopin, sure. yeah. uh, and, uh, Chopin, and Chopin uh, and George Sand who had an affair and they're friends, and I was one of the friends, uh, Eugene Delacroix. And if you were French in this film you spoke with an English accent. If you were not French, you had to do an accent. So Chopin was Polish. So he had to talk the whole film like this. And he hated it. He hated having to do that because he felt exposed and he felt, um, um, I don't know, it wasn't what he wanted to do in life, but he'd already made four weddings and a funeral. And he told me, I've got this film coming out. He said, "I, I think it might, if I'm lucky, it might change my career because Maurice did not change his career, which, you know, was a very good film as well. And he was very good in that, but it didn't really make much difference. So he didn't think at the time anyway, but so of course, when Four Weddings came out, he was launched into being Hugh Grant for the next 25 years. And, um, yeah. uh, and. And it's—I've always found that really interesting. That uh, you know, the lead actor isn't the kind of sort of follow the story through that person. And the more acting you do, the the harder it is for the audience to do that.
0: Mm, yeah, no, no, I I agree. I think Hugh has like had, Hugh Grant's had one hell of a, a a career. Like in terms of, I mean, like so you know, my, one of my all-time favorite films is uh, *Remains of the Day*, and I think he's fucking brilliant in that. He's so Ooh. good, and Ooh. then um, he just gets in, gets out, does exactly what what's required of him. And then also um, the Padding- Paddington 2 recently just totally smashed it. Just adds- right, but well,
1: you see that is him going back to being an actor again because he plays three or four different characters in that film because um, he's playing an actor. So therefore yeah. he does different, different looks and he does different voices and that, that's an illustration of actually what he could always do. He could yeah. always do that stuff, but he didn't want to do it for a, yeah. for a job. And I thought when I was young, that's what you were
0: supposed to do. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've, I've, I've oh done well. a, I've done a. Yeah. So am I, have I frozen for you again or am I still here?
1: Still there.
0: Okay, good, good. Now I, I've, Um. I think I've, I've led you down a path. That, um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Bruce Robinson and, and your, um, first involvement with him, with, with Nan and I, and, um, and how, cause I know fuck me, man. That's like 20, uh, 33 years ago. It's quite a stretch um like what was as as is that that was your first role in a film mm-hmm. so what can you can, can you remember what it's like to go on set and go you know here we go and what that feeling was for you working with someone like bruce he wasn't you know who clearly, he clearly he he wasn't anybody then all of no. you were kind of starting off on the same level Yep. what what was it like having read the script obviously believing in it because it's fucking fantastic
1: well, it's, uh, do you know what, this is going to sound funny, but it's just like going to work, you know, and, and, I, I, and you know, I had a job, and my job was to be Danny, so um, I had to sort of uh, own that, I had to take ownership of that character, and that, mm-hmm. that was to do with the, the tattoos and the wig and the clothes and the lines, all of it. Um, I'd done TV work before, so I, I wasn't phased about the um, the mechanics of um, wearing a little microphone and, and uh, having a or having a boom uh, hovering over you, or, or or cameras here, there, and everywhere, and and uh, somehow being the centre of attention and and not at the same time. Um, it's and then this moment when they when they when they call action and and everything falls silent and it's all yours. It's my favourite moment in the universe, you know. Yeah. And that's when I sort of started to fall in love with it as a, just as a process. I, I always really loved, and it was true on that film, the collaborative aspect of filmmaking where you look around the room and everyone's got a different job. They're all very good at that job and everyone knows what everyone else's job is and everyone tries to make everyone else's job a little bit easier. Yeah. And nobody's happy unless... Everyone's happy, you know, like when they go cut and they go, should we move on? And somebody goes, actually, no, that bit of thing, that ashtray should have had another 75 bucks in it, so we're going to have to go again, sorry. So there's a, there's a sort of eight or eight or ten heads of department that have to be happy before you move on. Make up the yeah. costume, the camera guy, the lighting people, the sound people, the, the, the designers, and the actors all have to sort of go, yes, thumbs up at the same time. And when they do, on to the next. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's quite interesting, you used that phrase there. You, you fell in love with with the movie make, the filmmaking process, and obviously getting what you've just described there is one of the, sounds like a lovely experience. Um, I've got a little bit of that experience myself, and was that? Do you think had it gone badly? Would that have tainted it or are you a strong enough person to, to move past and get on with the next project? Or is it, were you just absolutely just like blessed to have that as your first experience?
1: Yeah, I definitely was blessed. There's no question about it. And I'd had a horrible experience in uh, theatre um, just immediately after that, which did put me off doing the theatre for 30 years. So I don't think I'm necessarily that strong of a character. and um, you went back to the theatre properly last year when I went, um, did The Ferryman on Broadway. It uh, was a long gap, but um, but um, I decided before I got to Withnow that I wanted to be a film actor, that I was actually turning down auditions to go and do theatre jobs uh, in Ipswich or in Sheffield or wherever so that I could stay available for auditions for films. So I was already kind of trying to force the issue a bit and by the time it got to kind of um, 1990, I'd done half a dozen movies, maybe one or two a year. There are only like a few lines in each one. There were little bits, you know, but it was a CV of sorts, which meant that I would get invited into the room for an audition um, when when the big movies came around, because I was I'd already done a few, you know what I mean. And so that it takes a while, but that's kind of how it works, really. Yeah, um, and. So I'd already kind of chosen not to be a theatre actor. I was still doing some theatre. I did loads at the beginning in particular because otherwise nobody knows who you are. But um, I knew it wasn't going to be my main thrust. I kind of regret it now, I have to say. I kind of wish I'd done more theatre, especially having done um, The Ferryman last year because I had such a ball doing that and I suddenly realised yeah. what I'd missed out on for the last 30 years. And, uh, well,
0: that, that, would, that would be because of your experience. Well, what if you don't mind me asking, I know, I don't know what was it was it a bullying thing what was going on with the that that put you off um, stage acting
1: um i was doing the lead part in um, macbeth in liverpool and i asked um this is a for example i mean it's in my blog it's a, a song called summaries are coming in in the blog which details exactly what happened but the, i asked the director at one point um after the after the scene with lady macbeth is this a dagger that i see before me The scene immediately after that by the end of that scene we have decided as a married couple that we're going to kill the king so i said to the director when do they decide because it's not in the lines i said when do we decide between us what we're going to do she said oh don't come to me with all these psychological bollocks ralph just stand there and say the lines so she um yeah she took my confidence away basically to cut a long story short over the over the weeks of over the weeks of rehearsal and then um opening night i wasn't happy but but um one night at a time i took that part back and so by the end of the run it was mine all mine um but it was like climbing a mountain every night it really was you know
0: it very much is i've done a i've done a wee bit of um stage and i've got to say like i've i haven't suffered with i don't suffer with the jitters or anything like that um not uh i I suffer with intense um obviously adrenaline and then i just sink into the into a zone almost and Mm -hmm. then it just and you know in yourself you know the lines you know everything and and you've been drilling it and you've just got to You've just got to rely on, on the rehearsals, you know, and trust in yourself and it sales. But my God, it's such a vulnerable thing, it, a position to put yourself in. And, and if someone's coming up to you and undermining you and fucking with your head like that, Jesus. Mm. Well, she's
1: she's fe- feeling insecure about what she's doing and she's trying to get rid of that by uh, yeah. projecting it out, you know. Yeah.
0: Could I, can I just ask, like, when you were younger, like, what were your... Mum and dad, what were their influence what was their influence on you in terms of like um you being a a creative person or, or trying to find your way in life were they were they guide, were they guiding sort of parents
1: no they weren't um really my uh, parents got divorced when I was uh, seven yeah. uh, so I lived with my brought up by my mum. I saw my dad once every week or once every fortnight and he was an English teacher and he actually used to direct plays with the sixth form um, at his school Um, and I used to see some of those but it never crossed my mind but that was what I was going to end up doing. Uh, I did a school play myself when I was um, I think 15, something like that. I've still got the program for it and they both came. Um, on the same night and actually sat next to each other, which was kind of interesting, um, to see that. So they were supportive of that. But again, I I enjoyed doing that. And then I did some sketches in the sixth form and some more more plays. But for me, doing plays when I was a teenager, and this went right through to when I was 19, doing plays was like playing pool, you know, or playing football. It was like something you did after school. You know, it wasn't school was school. You know, school was maths and English and geography and and then and then plays were not that. Plays were yeah. playing. It was like playing Monopoly or playing the piano. It was and none of these things were jobs. None of them. Playing pool yeah. certainly wasn't a job. Acting certainly yeah. wasn't a job. Playing football was never going to be a job. You know what I mean? It was just grouped yeah, into yeah, that yeah. general kind of thing. And that um I mean I think I, I think going back to your question, my mum gave gave me an ability to sing because she liked singing and she could sing harmony she had a very good ear and she still does um and so um the kinks for example um she would sing the harmony on days thank you for the days and She'd go, thank you for the days, which was like fourth fourth third and it would be like and i didn't know that at the time but i picked up a lot of music from her um, and she wasn't a musician. She was just an, an enthusiast. And she was, both of my parents actually sing. um My dad sang in Huddersfield Choral for many, many years. So, but he was—he's a classical, and and hated pop music, and and uh, she was pop and hated classical with a few exceptions. Um, okay. So, so I like, that. Kind of I like that. I like that. But there was no acting. There was no none of that. There was no performing in the family. Nothing of any kind. You know. Uh, and I ended up going to uh, the London School of Economics to do law um, and I was going to be a barrister um, yeah. not very far away from acting. you know you have a script, you have a costume, you have a set, you have an audience, and you've got to uh, you've got to perform
0: you want the truth, you can't handle the truth
1: you know you know um, at the end of my first year, I was um, not getting on with my mum, and I was not looking forward to going home for the summer i was living in london but the, i was in university residence and we weren't allowed to stay there over the summer we had to bugger off and do something else so most people went home some people did whatever and i just saw this thing saying um, do you want to be at a play in edinburgh i was like that'll that'll probably and i i, I, I auditioned for that and i got it and i Rehearsed in London, stayed with a friend of mine on their floor and then went up to Edinburgh a few, for three weeks and did the play there. Every other person in that play was at drama school. Yeah. Um, and so they were all looking at me like this strange insect um, that they discovered and going, so what are you going to do when you've got your law degree then? I was like, well, what, kind of <laughs> what do you think? I was like, what are you going to do when you finished <laughs> drama school? And they were like, we're going to be actors. And I was like, wow. It was like a sort of bolt of lightning, you know. You're yeah. going to be an actual actor. And like the story I always tell about this moment was going down to the uh, toilets underneath the, the venue after the show um, and this American guy next to me in the men's saying, that was a great production, man. Where are you from in America? And I was like, I'm not, I'm English. And he was like, oh, wow, fool me. And, th- and that was like, ding, I can do this, I can do it. Yeah, you know. yeah. And it was that was the moment when I decided that I wasn't going to be a lawyer after all. Yeah.
0: You know. Okay. Yeah, because I I think that's um that's quite a, um I think a lot of people have that crossover, don't they? And they're they're in, they're in professions that, like like you said, you know, like uh, the law, uh, particularly barrat, you know, barrister. That there, there is that element of theatre, you know, mm. and and you, you can't. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't fall Ooh. the fruit doesn't too fall too far from the tree <laughs> on that one. But um, what about kind of. 'Cause I know we've had a bit of back and forth via email and stuff. And you you've, like I said, I think it was the most I think it was probably the most coolest paragraph anybody's ever sent me in an email. It was very Hunter S. Thompson. And your early days, um, I had incredibly hedonistic, thankfully, reasonably held together youth. Um yeah. that didn't I didn't fall off the tracks and everything. and obviously neither did you. But what was your like what were your like memories of like being uh kicking around in in was it london yeah yeah london. What, what were your what were your your memories of that then of like your early early days kicking around and finding booze for the first time and, and and girls
1: it was um finishing um um my degree i did finish the degree and i knew i wasn't going to be a lawyer but i still did did the degree and then i decided to have a second gap year I'd had one in between school and university when me and my best friend Simon Corner hitchhiked around the USA for five months. We went from New York to L.A. up to Vancouver, back to Montreal and then New England. And um, I loved it. It was amazing. Best thing I'd ever done. So I I then decided I would take my brother on a similar trip. My my brother Paul is two years younger than me. And we made a plan to do Latin America, starting in Mexico and going down to Buenos Aires, um, hitchhiking or whatever we could, really, for $10 a day, you know, this is like 1980, you know. But we had to earn some money first. So I was a painter and decorator for um, six, eight months and uh, saving money and doing a Spanish evening class in a Swiss cottage and also working at the Scala cinema, All Nighter Coffee Bar, which was um, a little groovy cinema in Tottenham Street moved to king's cross around this time um and they played all kinds of um zombie films rock and roll films gang films i mean it was like a kind of um collector's item of of movies and the all-nighter had five films on um including like you know divine pink flamingos and uh I, I, I rebel without a Cause. i mean it was like it yeah. was a whole bunch of different things Real I mix, work, yeah. I, I I worked in the coffee bar, and I also used to deal speed from there. This guy called Barry used to come in, who was the most shaved guy I'd ever seen in my life. His, his skin was almost kind of peeled off his face. He'd shave so closely. And he told me that he would get blues, these little blue tablets, from the Iranian embassy, <laughs> um, and then he would sell them around North London. And he sold some of them to me. Uh, Because he figured that on an all-nighter cinema that started at 11 and went through till 7 in the morning, people might need a bit of speed to keep awake. So uh, uh, I used to buy, uh, you know, uh, a thousand off of him, uh, sell them, and then there'd be there'd usually be I can't even remember now, but there'd probably be 50 left over, and they'd be free, you know. So that I the money I sort of sold them for added up to what I'd paid for them plus. 50 to a hundred blues. And um, so I became a speed addict quite quickly because it's the most highly yeah. addictive drug. And it was only going to Mexico with my brother that kind of took me away from the supply and thus stopped me from uh, losing all my teeth, uh, like Shane McGowan. And, um, and, we, and we went, um, hitchhiked through Mexico and we loved it so much. We actually stayed there for much longer than we thought we were going to, um, amazing country. But while I was there, I caught hepatitis B of uh, a sexy young lady um, near Acapulco. And I was so ill, uh, we were back in Mexico City by now, that I had to be flown home in secret because BA refused to accept me on their planes. So we came home via KLM and Amsterdam, back to North London, straight into the Tropical Diseases Hospital, um, where I was in isolation and, and nurses would come in all gloved and masked, and uh, recovered, but then I was ill, and it took me a year to recover from that, uh, that disease, and I couldn't drink for a year, and I was weak as a kitten. So everything went on pause, really. Um, Jesus. Uh, went back with my girlfriend, who I'd left to go to Mexico. Um, ended up squatting with my brother. When he came back, he actually stayed in Mexico, met a man, realised he was gay, went back to live with him in New York City, split up with him, came back to London. So eventually we ended up together again, squatting in Holloway Road. Uh, (laughs) Somebody he'd met in New York turned up who who then invited one of their friends who was a junkie and we'd broken into him, we lost everything. And it was like, okay, so we're not going to do that anymore. Um, I was still still working at the um, Scala. Um, and, um, and then my girlfriend said, you've got to come back. So back with her. So it was like, it was, I ended up working in an office in, in the end, um, sort of smartening up my act a bit, um, and, and worked in an office called the Society of Industrial Artists and Designers above the ICA on the Mall. And it was when I was there that I was buying the stage every week and, and applying for auditions uh, and doing pub theater and, and, and stuff for no money and stuff. I thought I'd better kind of get going with this acting thing because I've probably fucked around quite enough by then, you know.
0: <laughs> well, it's just <laughs> yeah, that I just <laughs> literally just had my mouth open through that entire monologue, my friend. That, that's that's quite something. Like when you were talking there, I was a bit, when you was you know, it, it was pretty hedonistic. I was thinking like, how you and Richard E Grant were like cuz he was sober right when he did with now or was, uh, Richard, was much... Richard is allergic to alcohol Oh my god so like were you did you ever did you tap him on the sh- did he ever ask you to come in? not not that he knew your background but did he ever ever turn around and go like anyone got any uh, ideas for playing this this drug addled freak or No he
1: didn't he didn't do that at all um No No I think he had the, the first hand uh, he, he was tapping into Bruce, you know, he was tapping into Bruce's uh, yeah. friend, friend, Viv, who, was, who the character was based on. Um, yeah. But then there's, a, there's another tragic element to, uh, to Richard's story, which is documented, so I will mention it, which is that he lost a child two weeks before they started filming um, a stillbirth. And uh, so that entire performance is coming from a place of massive grief.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, the, the, the end, yeah, the end of that film fucking hell that is, it sticks with you, doesn't it? it when when mm-hmm. you saw the final edit of, of, when you saw the final edit of that film. Yes. You, yeah. That, what did that, what did that, that last sort of scene, what did that do for you?
1: Um, I, I was still recovering from, I sat next to Richard Griffiths in the screening room in Soho. And uh, I remember after my first scene, I could not believe how slowly I was talking. I was just shitting my pants. I thought I am, I loved the film up to that point. I thought it was hilarious and poignant and all those things. But then I came on and fucked it up, you know, just spoiled it. And and I, I remember looking at, nudging Richard in the ribs and going, I'm talking too fucking slowly. And he went, don't be stupid boy marvelous. marvelous and uh i i couldn't and, and again the second scene right at the end i I, um, I still thought i was talking too fucking slowly i couldn't believe that slowly i was talking i was excruciating i mean and richard had a very similar um uh, reaction to watching himself on screen and um you know kind of walked out and went over the road and just waited for us he's never seen anything that he's done since i don't think um and I still yeah. don't enjoy watching. I still don't enjoy watching my work. It's one of the hardest things to do. And then these days when you audition, you have to do a self tape a bit like this, where you're kind of filming yourself doing a scene. Yeah. Um. And, and then you have to edit it, you know, and they have to, mm, maybe I'll do another take, you know. And so you have to get used to watching yourself. But in those days, mate, that was just, uh, that was shocking.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I, I, yeah, 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 I've. I've recently um done a film and I've, I I I was in it and um fucking hell I am terrible. I just I know it's going to be appalling. I know I'm gonna, It probably won't be appalling but I know I'm going to be just like that. I'm just going to tear myself apart. But um Yeah. I I'm just looking at the time and just realizing I haven't I haven't asked you about uh working with David Fincher on Alien 3. I know it was a fraught film. I know that it there were you know issues and what have you but again Mm -hmm. that was his first film right and Mm -hmm. bruce's bruce robinson's first film it's like firsts um was it an entirely bad experience or were there pluses to come from that that you you learned from
1: well like um i think the biggest plus at at the time was just being in it you know um the the second plus was making a, a proper friend out of david um and him saying you need to come to la and so we moved to LA after that movie and, 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 spent a lot of time with him. Um, uh, which led to one of my tragedies when, when he said, I'm going to, I'm going to put you in my next movie and here it is. And it was seven and he said, you don't need to audition. And then a couple of weeks later, went, actually the producer wants to meet you and it'd be all right. If you read this scene and the way it was all coached was so like, it was already mine, but it really wasn't. And, uh, and I did such a bad audition. I did I'm sorry what <laughs> what, was the role,
0: what was the role for what was the part?
1: Uh it's Kevin Spacey's role in certain fuck, fuck a duck. Um, yeah, so so that was that was um and you know LA is like that, you know that I had I had quite a few um experiences like that in LA. Uh, I was actually offered the Dennis Hopper's part in Speed um and my agent negotiated for 2 weeks with the, the money and the dates and the thing and the blah 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 and then got a phone call one day and he um sorry they have just Offered it to Dennis Hopper, <laughs> so oh, you know yeah. that's um, uh, any actor that spent any time in Los Angeles will have um, stories like that, you know. Yeah. And Alien, Alien Three was was my first uh, Hollywood movie, and it was my first barbecue in that sense. And on your first barbecue, you get your fingers burned, and that's just what happens. Mm. Um, so <laughs> it's it's like the learning curve appeared then to go sort of up over my head and sort of stabbed me in between the shoulder blades, around the back, um, and that was. Almost too much of a learning curve in a way, so it was hard to enjoy. It was cold um, and it was uh, it was grueling, and I was getting a hard time from Sigourney Weaver. And uh, but I still had a really good part, and I and I um,
0: yeah, you, you kill it, man. It's still, a fucking brilliant still,
1: part. yeah, I think I still did, despite. Oh my god! A, a I, I was... Though.
0: I was researching yeah. your your the you know what your opinion on that movie and thinking about it. I fucking I I'm really, I'm, I I love Alien Three and I love yeah. it because it's got, Possel Thwaite, McGann and and you in it and Charles fucking Dance. Dance is absolutely incredible in that film. Dies <laughs> way too early. Not too sure why he dies, but um and it's it's. It's fucking great. But, and then and I Bri- learned about and Brian Glover,
1: let's not forget, you
0: know? Yeah, of course, Brian Glover, like, yeah, again, take, he gets taken from the ceiling, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Phenomenal, like, British cast. And again, I think that, that Fincher was, he wanted to bring Richard E. Grant in, didn't he, for the uh, Charles Dance role? Uh, well, he did, he did. Yeah.
1: Um, and he thought that he would get final cut and he didn't. Um, he deliberately shot it very, sort with slow... Um, tracking shots because you're not really supposed to cut into a slow tracking shot according to um, him um of mm-hmm. course you can do whatever you like in the end but the studio took it off him and cut their own version of it his version of it actually was magnificent and it is available on, on one of the dvd extras um of film and that is a far superior version of the film i believe to the one which was released
0: yeah and because a, p- yeah. part, a part of the podcast that we do is um ask our guest for a moment of their from their life it doesn't have to be on in front of the camera behind the camera whatever just be a bike ride down i don't know central park or whatever but it sticks in your mind is there a moment in in your life that sort of you have a sort of a there's a moment of significance attached to it that you'd like to sort of elaborate on at all
1: mm, that's a bit of an ambush question even though you said you're well, going to ask i can be yeah yeah, well, uh, we
0: can we, we we can you know we can come towards it to, to you know in like five ten minutes if you want to percolate and just think about I can give you I can I can
1: ask yeah, about I mean, ways of work. Also, I'm okay. If, I'm okay until kind of two fifteen if you want. Okay, um, yeah, cool. Uh, Seven fifteen. Sorry, uh, eight fifteen or whatever it is. But I've got another. <laughs> I've got another. I've got a rehearsal, in fact, at um, oh, sweet. Okay. In an hour's time for a monologue thing I'm doing for charity. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'd like to have a little fag break in between
0: but yeah, yeah I, know, I don't I don't, have
1: to, I don't have to run in four minutes um okay
0: but yeah let's if you just maybe have it in the back of your mind because i know it's, it's a big question um that's why i put it in an email before because otherwise you're like that it does feel like an ambush it's like hang on mate what the fuck <laughs> that's a that's a big goddamn question man
1: mm-hmm. um but it's almost like uh, all of my blogs in a way at that moment so i could just pick any one of them yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we've done a Desert Island Discs uh, with some of the, my internet music people in the last couple of months, and, and we did one song a week for eight weeks, like, your, you know, your top eight songs. Impossible to write your top eight songs, but I wrote my top eight blogs. My, you know, the, the actual incident would have been a top incident, so I could choose any one of those eight, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I think perhaps I will choose meeting my wife. Um, I think that's the profoundest thing that ever happened to me uh, by Bar none really. Um, I was working at the Tricycle theater in Kilburn on a play called Return to the Forbidden Planet, which oh, was a rock and, really? a rock and roll what? Shakespeare science fiction. Yeah. so yeah. at the beginning of the show, we were all supposed to, mingle with the audience in the bar and hand out travel sickness pills and tell them to fasten their safety belts because we're about to take off to the forbidden planet uh, and we were all dressed in this kind of science fiction gear and all that and I'm, I'm quite shy as a person i'm not i'm not very good at um uh just doing banter and, and messing around with people who i don't know at all i'm not really a cabaret type person i'm more of a I don't know I have no idea what I am. But anyway, so I came out of the, you know, the little ding, ding, ding goes, and would you please take your seat? as was final call. And then that was it. When, once all the audience had left and gone in, I could go into the theater. So as I was going into the theater in costume, there was this Usher Ette um, standing there. And obviously she wasn't going to ask me for a ticket because I looked like I was a spaceman. But um, I just, it was that moment of looking at her and I was, it was just like electricity. Um... And I went, hello. And she went, oh, hi. And uh, I said, um, sorry, I've just got to go and do a play now, you know, and I went through the doors up to the balcony, along the balcony, and then tapped, came on stage down a pole from the balcony and did the show. And, um, but something profound had happened. And um, we didn't get together immediately. But when we did finally get together, uh, we both felt the same thing that that was it, yeah. and we both feel the same way today.
0: Yeah, that that's lovely, man. That's really cool. It's like just, I yeah, I can I think I, I can relate to that quite a lot. I, I can remember the first time I saw my wife. Uh, we we met on Tinder and um, we met at a pub. I can't remember Good Street or whatever. And I I can remember still now. She this is only like fucking five and five and a half years ago. But mm-hmm. we um, it's because I forget everything. I will forget. I forget everything. It's terrible, but I remember she was in like a a really funny rain mac. She did. She didn't. She didn't look particularly hip. Let me tell you. But you know, I think you've got got something in common there because you were dressed like a, a bit of a space space rock and roller as well. So, um, and it was it was just one of those moments. So I, I you just don't. It's it is the chemistry, isn't it? It's the unspoken words, the connection.
1: Who knows i mean we don't really know i mean maybe we've met each other before you know or maybe somebody's written it all down and it was a character in this thing and it's like it's what's meant to happen or maybe it's a decision you know
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> <That's> the, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful i love yeah. it it's very sweet i'm so glad that you, you shared that because um it's no it's good it's good to have that especially with someone that you've been with for so many years and you still hold that you still value that so profoundly it's really fucking important i suppose that's why you've, you've had a successful marriage
1: yeah i mean and i think we both feel the same thing which is that the marriage is much more important than anything else um you know the the the, the job is we, we you know we love the job and the job's really important but um it, it's never going to get in the way of the marriage yeah the marriage is paramount
0: yeah. can i can i ask you then um and thanks for that ralph that was really awesome yeah because i Wayne's world too, for me. So I, I, I was brought to, you were brought to my attention through Wayne's world too. And I'd like, I like to compare you with Fiona Shaw mm-hmm. in terms of what, what, what was the film? It was um, three men and a little lady. So mm-hmm. that film, I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, I, I love it. I've loved it since I was a kid or whatever. Um, doesn't i don't think it features too highly in the ratings on imdb but anyway fiona shaw comes in and and fucking makes that film she steals it she delivers the most eccentric electric performance and it's hysterical absolutely hysterical like you know her against tom tom Selleck. it's hysterical it's brilliant um Mm -hmm. and then you in wayne's world too it's 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 seminal it completely makes that film when you're doing del preston is that again are you just they're just going right just do what you did in wayne's work in in with now or were they mm-hmm. like very specific with what they wanted
1: no they were they were um quite cheeky really um i, I always used to joke um it's a, used to, i used to live in highgate in london and um, archway road I call it highgate because it sounds posher classic English uh, um, bit of pretension but uh, I used to live in Highgate and um always <laughs> used to joke that these before um, mobile phones whenever the phone rang the landline I'd always go oh sorry excuse me Hollywood calling and I'd go over and pick the phone and I'd go yes and uh one day it actually was um and it was it was my American agent saying um Uh, The Paramount Pictures want you to come out and do a read-through. It's not an offer, but they kind of fly you out tomorrow, if that's all right. And uh, you're going to go be taken straight to the studio for a read-through of a new film called Wayne's World 2. And it's not an offer, but would you like to come and do that? And I was like, sure. So next day, there I was in this read-through, and I started looking through. I had 45 minutes before we started and they have coffee and fruit and stuff lying around and I didn't know anybody. So it was a few hellos and, and how I use. And then I just saw the script and I thought, I'm gonna what am I reading? What is going on? And I started reading it and I realized that um quite early on it says something along the lines of, This is the reason why Keith cannot be killed by conventional weapons. And I was like, wait a minute, this sounds like sounds like whoever's written this has seen with me other than and so you know instinct that's what i'm going to do so i did him in the read through and afterwards they were like yeah that was great that was fine and then then it was an offer and then i started doing the film and i remember saying to mike myers maybe in rehearsal maybe there wasn't rehearsal i can't really remember i was like so come on mike did you write that part for me or what and he was like no, no, we, we wanted Robbie Coltrane to do it, but uh, it didn't work out. So then we, somebody said Ralph Brown, who was like, yeah. And I was like, nah, <laughs> you're joking, mate. <laughs> that is not what happened, Myers, you liar. Um, but I never got a straight answer out of anyone. Um, they, were, they were very shady about it, and um, I don't know why. It's clearly, I mean, you know, I've only seen the film a couple of times, but it's so clearly... And I remember I phoned up Bruce Robinson and I said, Brucey, I've been offered this film and it's just Danny goes to Hollywood, you know, Um, it's kind of, it's kind of Danny without the weed. Um, He's a, he's a a roadie, he's a roadie, you know, and I'm going to do that voice and I'm going to do all those kind of mannerisms and tattoos and everything. Is that all right with you? And he went, it's your part, rather. it's up to you, nothing to do with me. I said, no, it is to do with you. I want, I want your blessing on it. I don't want to just do it and i tried to think of other actors who've done the same character in two completely different films uh and and like big characters you know not just yeah, you know yeah, being yeah. Selves, being somebody not themselves in two completely separate films And i just couldn't think of any i couldn't think of any actors that had done the same character in two different films yeah no i um i, s- I struggled that, with that i thought i don't know maybe some comedy person maybe had done that but that would yeah. be a character that they did over and over and over again. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I was, I was, I was struggling with that as as well myself because that was the one of the uh, question in my mind. I was like, who, who's reprised a character like that? You know, fucking like 20, 15 years apart or whatever it is, and still smashed it and knocked it out of the park. Like, in it, okay, because I love that part so much, and I think everyone does. All my mates, blah blah blah. In my in my head, when Myers or whoever says cut everyone burst into hysterics were there any reactions like laughter with you doing that or with with doing dell was it very you know what it
1: it was it was one of those films it's a comedy you know and uh, after every take mike and dana would go back to the monitor and they would watch what they'd just done now as i've said before i don't like watching myself so I couldn't identify with that in any way whatsoever, and I never did that. But they did it every single time. Now, bear in mind, they had played um, Wayne and Garth on TV in Saturday Night Live for years, so they knew how those characters went, and they knew what the rhythms were, and they knew the chemistry of that double act. So in a way, yeah, they were the experts on whether it was any good or not, and I had to respect that. And I suppose, in a way, I was the expert on my character, but I didn't have the balls to do what they were doing. Yeah. but because it was a comedy in between the setups and the filming everyone was trying to make everyone else laugh it was like this kind of laugh competition with with all of the other actors even Christopher Walken was doing it it was like it was just this kind of endless jokes and one liners and wisecracks yeah and then you'd do a scene and then everyone cut and everyone would laugh at whatever was just done certainly on the first take because if you've ever done a I did a few comedy sitcom stuff and there's this weird um, Thing that happens in in Britain anyway when you're doing a sitcom is that the whole crew laughs at the end of the rehearsal, and it's like compulsory. You know what I mean? Because you have yeah, to support yeah, yeah. you have to support the actors or the comments yeah, or whatever yeah. you have to. I remember the first time that happened, I was slightly weirded out by it, but it's just what happens. Mm-hmm. And Wayne's World Two was a bit like that. It was um, it was really good fun. It was really oh, a lovely, goodness. lovely gig. Um,
0: well, that's a relief to hear. I mean that that's yeah it's still i think that film has it stood the test of time in in a unique way i've, I've i watched it probably about a year ago we, we came back from sri lanka and we were jet lagged fuck and we had a little baby daughter with us. Yeah.
1: sorry formerly so Lanka.
0: Shri- i fucking walked into that one i can't believe i didn't fucking <laughs> do it god damn it god damn <laughs> sri lanka formerly known as sri lanka um yeah well you know we could try and outdell each other here if you want but you know that you've got the one up on me but um i yeah and we put it on wayne's world one followed by wayne's world two and it was just like i've, I've i don't know why but i kind of like forgot about your part and then when it came up i was like oh god yeah oh this one you're like you're gonna love this you're gonna love this because she hadn't seen wayne's world two before and it was fucking fantastic oh my god like beat 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 off the jet lag that way it was mm. great but it, it's it's a great relief to know that you, you had a good experience on that film you know so mm. w- was it was it good working with I, I I should imagine Mike was a little bit different to Dana I don't know why I just feel like maybe they were kind of uh, he was more dist- I don't know he seemed like maybe a bit more distracted and Dana Dan, Dan would be a nicer fellow I don't know is that a right reading or
1: Yep yeah, that's a right reading uh yeah. you know uh, Dana Dana actually and I realized and I think Mike I'm going to join in on this as well that we had a mutual love for for a musician called Todd Rundgren, um, who loads of people don't really know about. And uh, Dana realized that I hadn't got a couple of his albums. And he just turned up one day and gave me them on CD, um, which was, you know, the new way of listening to music. And I said, oh, no, don't give me your, don't give me your CDs, man. He goes, it's all right. He said, one of the, one of the bonuses about being on Saturday Night Live and being famous is that I'm now a mate of Todd Rundgren's, so I can always get another copy. Don't worry, <laughs> 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 you know. And Mike was yeah. just much more professional and much more. I mean, you know, very supportive and, and everything else. But uh, yeah. he was he was like he was running his own operation yeah. basically. Yeah.
0: No. I mean, there's a lot of pressure ru- ru- running, uh, on his shoulders, and I mean, it, it's it's a remarkable film, and he's done. Di- I think for me, like, if, do you do you watch Inglorious Bastards?
1: I have not seen
0: that film. That's a cultural oh. hole, William. It's a cultural hole, a, a, a Ralph Brown cultural hole. Um, Mike Myers is in there and, and he steals a scene. Completely fucking, he's incredible. Him and mm-hmm. um, Fassbender, and it's 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 hysterical in yeah. perfect in a perfect way. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about. I think about him in *Ways we- and World, and then that just random little cameo in, in Glorious Bastards*. It's so funny. But if you
1: it's a long swim, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's peaks well, and troughs. Um, it really is, isn't it? How have you survived the peaks and troughs? And um, we've probably got about what two minutes
1: left. Um, yeah, I'm just. You develop a philosophy over over the years. I mean, I've given up acting three times. Um, in all seriousness, and um, I actually prefer writing now, and I've I, I've put much more energy into writing in, in the last. 10 years than I have into acting, but, um, it's hard thing to give up acting. Mm. Um, you know, one gives it up when one is disappointed. Um, and you know, you zoom in and you zoom out of, of looking at yourself and in your world and thinking, could I have done better than that? And of course, everyone could always do better at everything, but in the end, I'm just grateful for all of it.
0: Yeah. Really. That's a, that's a great, that's great philosophy. It carries you through life. If you can, if you can look on things like that decompartmentalize a bit and step step away step back definitely i'm only what i'm 38 but I'm, god yeah it's fucking hell like today for example bloody hell anyway um i, I really wanted to talk to you about sanctuary but typically we run out of fucking time because you've had too much of a good life ralph you know if you'd had a, a, a more boring dull life we could have fit it in but mm-hmm. what are you gonna do but maybe in another time we can talk about Sanctuary and that was, your, that was your first play, so. Yes, it was. Yeah, that kicked ass as well, right? That got some seriously awesome reviews. Everyone loved it. Thank you, yeah,
1: and won me the Samuel Beckett Award as well. Yeah, Big. Which was nice. Cool. Uh, well, but yeah, let's do it again then, uh, yeah, in a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. In a couple of
0: years, man. Yeah, yeah. let's see, where, see what we're both up to then. I could be the next Louis Theroux. <laughs> yeah good luck (laughs) right man thank you very much thank you so thank you so much for your time you're an absolute sweetheart
1: you're absolutely welcome
0: cheers mate thank you bye